We are continuing in our series, Believing God, Stories of Faith from the Old Testament. And um, this morning we'll be in 1 Samuel chapter 3. 1 Samuel chapter 3, if you want to open your Bibles, we'll be reading together from there in just a little bit. Last week we considered how Joseph and Job and we are challenged to have faith in God in seasons in which God is silent. Uh, When we don't hear from God, especially in moments when we're seeking some guidance from God, maybe it's about a specific decision that we need to make in our lives, maybe Maybe it's just that we, we want to feel his presence in a different sort of way. Maybe it's a hardship or a crisis and we're wanting God to lead us through and we feel like we just need to hear from him. And there are times when we don't hear from him. And we learn from Joseph and Job. There were others who experienced some silence. They're not the only ones in Scripture. But today we consider the faith that it takes to hear the Lord speak in the first place. Because when we think about a period of silence with God, what we're saying is that there are periods in which He's speaking. And just as it takes faith to believe in God in those times in which we're seeking him and we're listening for his voice or watching for his guidance, it takes faith in those times. It takes faith to hear him as well. And for some of us in here, it takes more faith for you to believe that God would actually have something to say to you, that he would want to speak to you, that he would want to commune with you through his voice. It takes more faith for some of you to believe that silence of God, perhaps for some, is not really a challenge because you expect him to be silent. Other than the Bible, that's where his voice is confined. So I want us to think about that today. But first, a word from the great theologian Lily Tomlin, who asks Why is it that when we speak to God, we are said to be praying, but when God speaks to us, we are said to be schizophrenic? How's that happen? Does God speak? We sing that He does. Um, Almost all of us in here have sung about the speaking God in a wide variety of songs, both contemporary and traditional. There are any hymns coming to your mind, people? Any any of the older traditional hymns that come to your mind? What about in the garden? The chorus of which says, and he walks with me, and he what? Talks with me. Sometimes we sing better theology than we read and believe. And he tells me I am his own. 
and the joy we share as we tarry there in the garden. None other has ever known. You see, there's this long-standing tradition of the people of God communing with God and hearing from God, having an exchange with God, speaking to Him, hearing Him, hearing Him speak. And today's scripture, our story, is one of those places in which we see God as a speaking God. So the very first act of God in the Bible, in the beginning, God created. We know that from Genesis 1.1, but just a couple of verses later, there's another verse. The very second act was this, and God said. The very second thing that we see him doing, the very second action, is God saying, let there be lights. He speaks from the beginning. He speaks with Adam and Eve. And last, like we, we mentioned last week, he speaks to people throughout. It was a curious thing when we get to the story of Joseph. And there's no du- direct conversation that we see in the text between God and Joseph. We can certainly assume it behind the scenes. Perhaps it's there, perhaps not. It's just curious that there's no conversation. Because by that time, we expect that God is a speaking God. He is a communicating God. So let's read this story together. And as we read this, let me just set some context for you. Uh, the, The setting is Shiloh, which for a short time in Israel's history was the place uh, where the tabernacle was parked for a while. Uh, If the temple eventually became the house, the tabernacle was like the RV that that Israel drove around and set up from time to time, and it would camp there. And then when the Spirit of the Lord would move, when God would move through the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night, then they would pack up the tabernacle and they would go and park it someplace else. And so the tabernacle at this time is in Shiloh. And God has already chosen the tribe of Levi to be the tribe of priests. And so there's one named Eli, and he's the priest at this place. We, we learn about Elkanah and Hannah in chapter 1. Hannah's barren. Elkanah has two wives. Hannah's barren. Penina's not. She has children. Hannah is is just desperate for children. She's praying. Eli sees her praying. I love this part of the the story, just the, the, the verb that's there, because Eli sees her praying, and she's praying so intensely that Eli thinks that she's drunk. But she says, oh, no, I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. That's chapter 1, verse 15. What a beautiful phrase for the act of prayer. I was pouring out my soul before the Lord. And Eli says, you're going to be granted what you want. She wants a child. and She has been praying to the Lord, if you give me a son, I will give him back to you in service to you. And that's exactly what happens. And that's who Samuel is. Samuel was her son. And she takes him to Eli to be there with him, to serve the Lord with Eli in the temple. So that's where we pick up In chapter 3, verse 1, 
Now Eli's overseeing Samuel, but he's got two sons, and they're not any good. They are, don't. They have no regard for the Lord, is what the text says. They have no regard for the Lord. They take the best portions of the sacrifices for themselves rather than offering it to God. And um, they've got all kinds of things going on behind the scenes. They're not pointing to God. They're pointing to themselves. They've made themselves out to be too important. And Eli seems to be an uninvolved dad at this point. He doesn't really corral his sons and lead them towards the Lord. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I didn't call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli again and said, Here I am, you called me. My son, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord. Or your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at other times. Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. Maybe he was afraid to say, Lord. Speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. At that time I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke about his family. Another prophet had given a message that his sons would be put to death. And so he says, From beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision, but Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, Here I am. What was it he said to you? Eli asked. Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. 
the Lord continued to appear at Shiloh. And there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. And Samuel's word came to all Israel. The drought, the famine of the word of the Lord had been broken. It had been rare. But now God has raised up Samuel. And the drought has ended. A few observations, and then I want us to really consider this aspect of hearing the Lord. Uh, first was just simply the observation that the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions, the text says. This indicates that there were times that the word of the Lord was not rare. That it was a common thing for people to hear from the Lord. That the Lord was speaking. You go back to the garden and, and in chapter 3, after Adam and Eve had already chosen to rebel against God. It says that God is walking in the garden in the cool of the day when he comes to be with them. There's this idea of communion and closeness and intimacy between God and people from the very beginning. And yet, the word of the Lord is rare in these days. The second observation Samuel had to learn how to hear from the Lord. He had to learn how. There had to be some training. It wasn't something he just knew how to do. And in fact, Eli, it seems, at one time probably had a little bit better understanding and because it took him a few times to figure out that, oh, this is the Lord. You need to go back and just say, speak, Lord. It's not me calling you. Somebody's calling you. I don't know what any of us would do if, if we woke up and the Lord was standing there. I mean... It's already tough enough to be hearing this voice, and now the Lord stood there. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him, so he had to learn how to listen to the Lord and how to be able to hear his voice. Third, Samuel's listening is what led to his speaking. A person is not a prophet because they speak first. A person is a prophet because they hear first. Every prophet is that same way. If it's a true prophet, they are the kind of people who hear the word of the Lord and then can go and declare the word of the Lord. Now, I think about that for myself in preaching. Now, preaching doesn't begin with me speaking to you. It begins with me listening to the Lord, first in his text, and then as I meditate on his word and invite him to lead me in these moments. So proclaiming good news begins with listening to the Lord. And when he does finally get a message, this would be the fourth observation here, the message wasn't necessarily pleasant. Uh, there weren't any niceties. That was an interesting part of this little story to me is that there's not any niceties. When Samuel says, speak, your servant is listening, the Lord goes right into this pretty harsh prophecy about Eli's sons. There's not any, hey, I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> been good to have you. I've been watching you grow. I've been really excited for this moment. There wasn't any of that. It was just Eli's sons are in for it. They're about to get it. Pass that on. That's, this is the message. Sometimes we're asking for the Lord to speak and when he finally does it's not really the kind of thing we're expecting to hear or, or, or want to hear 
I, I want to I tell you uh, that in this, in this story, uh, and, and even as I think about this whole idea of, of uh, us speaking to the Lord and of us receiving from the Lord, letting the Lord speak to us, I lean heavily on uh, Dallas Willard's book called Hearing God. It used to be called, a long time ago, In Search of Guidance. The subtitle of it is Developing a Conversational Relationship with God. Highly recommend the book. Uh, Very thorough and and, um, broad in its study of Scripture. Dallas Willard does a great job with this. But there's a couple of things in particular that I think will help us as we engage with this story and as we reflect on it, not only more this morning, but even later this week. Uh, And I will put this title and a couple of other things about it uh, in Tuesday's Beyond Sunday email that I send out, uh, giving you an opportunity to think more about this text. Willard says this, if we are really to understand the Bible record itself, We must enter into our study of it on the assumption that the experiences recorded there were basically of the same type as ours would be if we were there. His his point, and he'll go on to explain a couple of issues and problems with this, his point is that when we come to Scripture to read and to study, we need to imagine that the kinds of experiences we see happening in Scripture between God and people would have been the kind of experiences we would have had ourselves had we been there. And he says, there is much in the scriptural account from beginning to end that we should not be afraid of but expect these kinds of things to happen. Now, some of us, let, let me just kind of push pause here for a moment, but some of us have, uh, from time to time, made declarations or statements to each other, or maybe even to God, that, you know, if God were to show up in a powerful way, I mean, I would, I would be all ears. I would be listening. And whatever he said, that I would do it that way. The, the problem is, there are too many experiences in the Bible where that's not what happens. God shows up in a very powerful way, and uh, people basically want to die. Or, or run away. I mean, think about some of the big characters. You think about Moses. Moses, 40 years, has been tending to his sheep. He's minding his own business. He sees, he sees something. He sees a bush on fire. At least it looks like it's on fire. So he goes to check out the bush. And as he's approaching, here's this voice. And it is the Lord telling him to take off his sandals. He's on holy ground. And now we know that exchange. You, you see... Moses is having this encounter with the Lord. The Lord has appeared to him. There's a bush. Imagine you being in front of any bush, a Christmas tree, it's coming up, and it's on fire, but it's not burning up. I mean, imagine that. You're looking at your Christmas tree. It's in flames, but it's not being consumed. Nothing else is catching on fire. Even that homemade ornament from fourth grade that you've had hanging up there, you're going, wow, that sucker. And you're just looking at that. You're in awe. And now if you imagine hearing a voice coming from somewhere, this voice, and it's talking directly to you. 
we imagine that we would do whatever that voice would say, yet Moses has a bit of resistance to the Lord. When the Lord finally gets around to saying, I'm going to send you, now you go, you go to Egypt. Oh, I don't know, can you send somebody else? You know, I'm not really good at that kind of stuff. He's, he's debating with God in front of a burning bush. Isaiah in the temple, Isaiah chapter 6, sees God, and what he wants to do is just go, oh, I, I need to just die. John, the apostle John, when he's exiled on the island of Patmos, when he finally sees the Lord and he sees Jesus, the same Jesus that he reclines on at the supper, that, that he's the disciple whom Jesus loved, that intimate John sees Jesus on the throne. He's all lit up, and John says, I fell over as if I was dead. So not every time that we see the Lord or encounter him or hear his voice are we just like perked up and go, yep, I'm ready. I'm going to obey. I'm going to do it right now. But we hear those kinds of experiences, and, and, and then it's tough for us it's tough for us without burning bushes and seraphim flying around and a Jesus lit up and, and, and white and shining and powerful before us. We don't even have those kinds of visions right now. I haven't had one of those kinds of visions. But sometimes we have difficulty thinking that the Lord will speak in some kind of ordinary part of the day while I'm driving to work or while I'm sitting sipping on my coffee or perhaps even while I'm sitting with you in communion or singing a song. Now, here's what Willard says. Willard says, we have a couple of basic problems if we do not imagine that we ourselves might have some of the same kinds of experiences, not burning bushes and, and even donkeys at times are the mouthpieces of God. And so if we, if we look at this and we, if we can't imagine that God would not treat us relationally and communally in the same way that he treats people in the Bible, we've got some issues. He says there are two issues in, in particular. Failure to read the Bible in this way accounts for two common problems for those who hold the Bible central to their faith. The first problem is this that the Bible becomes simply a book of doctrine, of abstract truth about God, which one can endlessly search without encountering God himself or hearing his voice. It becomes a book of facts from which we gather bits and pieces of information to put together arguments that we've already decided upon and now would like to support. Maybe there are some new facts that we go and gather, but if we don't look at the Bible as this window into the experiences between God and, and, his, and his people, the people that he loves, the people that he sent Jesus to die for, then we're missing out. And it just becomes a book of doctrine, of abstract truth about God. The second problem is this. When we do not understand the experience of biblical characters in terms of our own lives, we simply stop reading the Bible altogether. Or else we take it in regular doses, choking it down like medicine, because someone told us it would be good for us, though we really do not find it to be so. Those are two basic issues. And so what I would like to do is invite us to imagine what it would be like for us to be Samuel today. 
no matter how old we are, no matter how long we've been walking with God, could we, could we just for a moment imagine that we might be Samuel? Here's the big thing that I'd like to really kind of end our time with today. This encounter that the Lord initiates with Samuel begins for Samuel a lifelong relationship with the Lord. In fact, we could say that Samuel already had a relationship with the Lord to some degree. He just didn't know it. The Lord knew Samuel. But Samuel did not yet know the Lord, even serving in his temple. He didn't yet know him and have this personal encounter he knew some things that needed to be done for the Lord. He would have had a list of things from Eli as he talks to him about how to serve the Lord in a priestly sort of way in the temple. But he doesn't yet have the personal connection with him, this relationship. But this encounter, initiated by God, begins a lifelong relationship between Samuel and the Lord out of which Samuel speaks on behalf of the Lord to his people. And this relationship is really the heart of speaking and listening. Samuel's goal, David's goal, Moses' goal, Elijah's goal, any goal of any character in Scripture, is not merely to seek the voice of God. It's to seek God Himself. And in seeking God Himself, we become the kind of people who hear the voice of God. Remember, this is initiated by God. It's one of the great differences between gospel and religion. In religion, we try to initiate good things so that God will somehow grace us with his favor in some way, perhaps speaking to us. That if we initiate and do the right things and get the formula correct, God will speak to us. So we won't hear from God. He won't respond to us unless we get the formula right. We say the right words in the right order with the right inflection, then maybe that's a very religious way of looking at this relationship. It's not really relationship. The gospel is God initiating, proactively making something happen that we couldn't make happen on our own. And he has changed the game with the gospel because he not only speaks loud and clear, the word of God became flesh. The Word of God became flesh. The spoken Word is embodied in Jesus Himself. Does God want to speak to us? Here's Jesus, loud and clear. And Jesus then is the one who says, The Father and I, when I go, the Father and I are going to send the Spirit. We're not going to leave you as orphans. And the Spirit will not only be with you, He will be in you, John chapter 14. He will be in you. How intimate is that? That the living God of creation and the universe longs so much to be with people that he becomes one of us and then he inhabits us. That's pretty big stuff right there. That's pretty big. 
Do you know how big that is? That's big. He inhabits us. He dwells in us. That means he walks around with us, goes to the grocery store with us, has, reads stories to our children with us, has conversations with people at work with us, watches games with us. He does this with us because he inhabits us. He goes with us through our day. And this has changed everything. This is, this is that relationship that God has created us for, that he's invited us into through the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. New creation, new life, new relationship with me that, lasts, that starts now but lasts forever. Think about these words and, and how related they are. We've talked about this years ago, but I want to bring it up again with you. The words communion. What do you think of when you think of communion? Well, we think of the table oftentimes because we think of the emblems of communion. But think about commune with someone. To, to have this intimate time of relationship. You're, you're, you're spending time together. You're knowing each other. You're listening for each other. Communion leads to community, which brings forth communication. Communion. Community. Communication. Do we think that communion can take place and that community can take place and be built between us and God without communication? Isn't communication somehow a part of communion and community? It seems to me that from beginning to end in the pages of Scripture, what God wants to do is be with us so that in the beginning in the garden, in creation, He's with us, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And at the very end of the Bible, in the last book of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, heaven comes down to earth, earth is renewed, there's a garden again, and God says, I will be with my people. He's a God who wants to be with us. And as a God who wants to be with us, He wants to commune with us. And as a God who wants to commune with us and build community with us, He wants to communicate. What kind of life practices might put us in a context or a posture to hear the Lord speak to us today? I'm going to go through these. these I'm going to offer these to you. You'll see these again on Tuesday in the email. But let me go through these, and then we're going to end with... with uh, a pause, okay? That's what we're going to do. A life practice that might put us in a context or a posture, think of posture like this. This is a posture of giving, and it's also a posture of receiving. This would not be. But for those of you who are doing this right now, I, I know that that's comforting. You know, it's comfortable to be able to do this, but this is the posture of openness, okay? This is the posture of openness, of receiving. So the first practice, life practice, would be learn. Look at Samuel. He had to learn how to hear the Lord. We have to learn things in life. We learn math. We learn language. We learn how to play a musical instrument. We learn how to do something athletic. We learn how to do something on the computer. We learn how to perform surgery. We learn those things. Why would we think it's any different with the Lord? We learn from the Lord what the spiritual life looks like. Secondly, we pursue God. 
We pursue him intentionally. We go after God. We seek relationship with God even above hearing his voice or an experience. And I'm saying this because one of the things that we're challenged with in our culture today, we're an experience-driven culture. We want to have new experience. This experience is done. We want to go on to the, new, the next big experience. We get that experience done. And, and um, it's a tough thing. We, we who have uh, children, teens down, we are the ones who are going to really have to sort through these kinds of things as, as we somehow train our kids that the some kind of new experience, fresh experience, never before experienced experience is, is the thing that we pursue in life and we can even do that with God to the point in which God himself kind of gets blurred out if we don't get the experience with God that we're after. So we don't get the experience that we want and so somehow we can begin, to, it's almost like we, we treat God like a pet. We throw him a few treats hoping that he'll do some tricks for us and make something happen. That's not who God is. We pursue God, which looks like a life of, of opening his scriptures. That's, a, that's the, I think, the best place to start is just to open. What has he already said to us? Jesus himself, the word made flesh, says this is the word of God. I trust Jesus. I trust the risen Lord. And so when he says this is the word of God, and he quotes from it himself, this is a word that's faithful and reliable that I can know. It's a way into knowing the thoughts and heart of God. I can begin there, pursuing God through Scripture, pursuing God through prayer, pursuing God through worship, pursuing God through fellowship with other people who also are listening for the voice of God. That's one way we hear, is to have, share life in Jesus with other people who are listening. The third one is this, to pursue God and to learn we must, especially in our culture today, slow down, make ourselves available to God, and listen intentionally. Um, imagine a friendship or a, or a marriage relationship. Okay, so let's, let's just say, let's take it to the courtship stage. Guy and a girl, interested in each other. But every single moment, this may be safe in the first few months that they're getting to know each other, you know, just having a, some, some, they're with friends and they're just making sure that the relationship is good and that it stays holy and pure. But imagine that every time that you are together, you're with other people, you never have time alone, and that much of the time that you are together, you're doing other things. You're not really sitting down speaking and listening to each other one-on-one. -on -one. Imagine what that relationship would look like. Imagine what any friendship or relationship would look like if all the time you ever spent together was in the presence of other people doing other activities and never sitting down, looking at each other, speaking to each other one-on-one. -on -one. Yet somehow, we think sometimes we can do that with God and expect the relationship to go to deeper levels. But it doesn't work that way. And so one of the things we do is we just slow down in this busy life of ours. We make ourselves available to God in those ways that we just talked about. And we listen intentionally. Will Reagan has a song called Not in a Hurry. 
Lord, I don't want to rush on ahead in my own strength when you're right here. Lord, I want to love like you. I want to feel what you feel. I want to see what you see. I want Jesus, more and more of Jesus to be in me is what he's saying. So here's chorus is this. I'm not in a hurry when it comes to your spirit, when it comes to your presence, when it comes to your voice. I'm learning to listen just to rest in your nearness. I'm starting to notice you are speaking. One final note. How do we know when we sit in stillness and we are asking the Lord to speak? How do we know that a voice or a message or a word is from God? That's a series of lessons in itself. Let me just offer you this as a final word. We would ask, is this a word that is validated by Scripture? And God is giving me a message. Is it validated by Scripture, which is the Word of God? Is the word that I'm hearing consistent with the character of God, especially as he reveals himself to us in Christ? Is the word consistent with other kinds of messages that God speaks, that we see in Scripture? Okay, so I want to uh, invite our prayer teams, and I'm going to invite you to stand and invite our prayer teams to go ahead and take their places. But we're going to end with a, a, a pause. Um, so, as our prayer teams take their places, and uh, for, for us, what would it, what would it, let's, let's just pause for a moment. Sometimes when it gets quiet, you hear crickets. Just, that's what happens in the quiet today so I'll invite you if you want to close your eyes close your eyes but just imagine uh, yourself sitting here with the Lord the reality is the Lord is right here with you the Lord is more interested in communing with you and communicating with you than you are with him. That's just part of the reality. He has given you his spirit. You follow Jesus. If you're in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit of God who reveals to you the deep things of God and shapes in you, according to 1 Corinthians 2, the mind of Christ. So I want to invite you simply to say the same prayer that Samuel prayed. Just say it to the Lord. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And say it in your mind. You can whisper it if you want. But speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And maybe you put it to him a little bit differently. Lord, is there anything you want to say to me? Is there anything you want to say to me? See what happens when we get still just for a moment? Um, through the week, you may want to come to this place in here. It's quiet in here. And you may just want a place to come and sit. But I would invite you this week 
to assume a posture of openness before God and to invite Him to speak, knowing that He has spoken through His Word, that He speaks through His Spirit, and that He has spoken most definitively through Jesus, the Word made flesh. If you'd like to join uh, with some of our prayer team and maybe ask for the Lord to help you hear better, we invite you to do that. If you want to accept relationship for the very first time with Jesus, we invite you to share with us so that we can lead you in that. Let's respond as we sing together.